the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. As we begin Corinthians, I think probably many of you uh, can refer to ourselves as seasoned saints. And some of us have even, you know, taken studies on Corinthians or looked through it in the past. So you're well acquainted with the gist of the book. But I'm going to give you a little history. I'm going to talk about how Paul came about to enter into Corinthians, and more importantly, how he came to write this letter. And I think it's important that you understand the context in which he's speaking. I think it's important that you understand the heart and mind and the mindset of the people he's speaking to or writing to. So it's never my intention to make any book that we enter into academic. This is really not about teaching This is about the revelation of Christ. This is about the spirit and truth being spoken to the center of our being. This is about him. So let's begin on that. You might say to yourself as we begin this that the issues that Paul's addressing in these letters have little relevance to where we are as a church. And that may be true on the surface. But when the Spirit addresses sin in or around us, and this is something you need to not just pass off as a nice saying, it's the absolute truth. When the Spirit addresses sin in and around us, He speaks to the root of the issue, not to the fruit. We seem to get terribly distracted with the fruit. The fruit of sin, what we did, the behavior The Spirit of God speaks to the heart. He speaks to the root of the issue. Why? Because He wants healing. He has no ambition to make you any holier than you are. You've been made holy. He has no ambition to make you any more saintly than you are. You are a saint. He wants you to be healed for your sake. He wants you to enter into the fullness of all that God has made you to be. And if you are so caught up with pruning this fruit of sin from your being, you will be distracted from the grace, the absolute mercy and love of God that flows through your life. And you'll never deal with the root. You'll never deal with the root. 
I always get a little frustrated with modern Christian counselors. People will come in literally at their wit's end with the fruit of their sin. And all that counselor can do is sit around and talk about the fruit. He never takes them to the cause. He never takes them to the root. And what's more, he does not emphasize that there is only one answer. It's not complicated. It's not a methodology. It's not something new. It's Jesus. And it already exists in you. You already have the answer. The fruit of sin is easy to see, and we're all about removing it. But the root is tied to our belief system, what we believe about God. A friend of mine used to say, we don't rule our belief system, our belief system rules us. And that's really true. That's true. It must be corrected or the fruit of sin in all its forms will continue to grow. Now, I believe that this letter is very relevant to where we are today, not because of the demoralization of society, or the increase of wickedness and lawlessness, but because I see the root of a man-centered theology that is growing in the church today. I see the Christian community being slowly conformed to this world in their thinking and sensibilities. The modern church seems to be gathered around the wrong tree and feeding its people a mixture of legalism and license. Grace seems to be about living without condemnation in carnality. Passion for God for many in today's church is based in the soul and is about what we do or what we feel rather than about who He is and our faith and trust in Him. In these letters, we are going to need to look at the root of carnality and allow the Spirit of God to give us some clarity on that. So that we will worship our God in spirit and in truth, not in flesh and distortion. Our desire is that the leaven of the world and our society may be removed from our individual belief systems. So we can be in the world without being of the world. This message is to be, as I said before, an introduction into 1 Corinthians. And I will begin by giving you a little background. You know, as I studied this, I couldn't help but see a parallel between Corinth and the United States. I mean, you'll see it as we go along there. So, if you will look with me, one of the first places I want you to turn to, how many of you have a a Bible with maps? If you have one, go ahead and turn to it and see if it shows you a map of Corinth, ancient Corinth. It's very interesting. And you can see why Corinth rose in power and prosperity relatively quickly. Corinth was one of the most prosperous and wealthy cities and one of the biggest and greatest trade centers in the ancient world. It was also incredibly strategic because of its location. Now, Greece was divided into two parts. It had north and south. And Corinth was situated on an isthmus that divides between the Saronic Gulf and the Corinthian Gulf. These were seaports, and the seaports were on either side of Corinth, and Corinth was in the middle on this isthmus. In the middle. So, 
anybody that wanted to trade from the south to the north or even from the east to the west came through Corinth. You can see how they became very wealthy, very prosperous. There was a lot of traffic. And that isthmus was actually only about four miles wide. And Corinth kind of sat at the mouth of it, and, and the port sat on either side. And many times, in fact, all the time, ships that wanted to move from one sea to the other sea would literally come out of the water on rollers and cross this four-mile span over into the next sea. This was a place of great business and commerce. Plus, it was in proximity to Jerusalem. So you had, you had a big melting pot of all manner of people, including those people who came in on the ships who treated Corinth as a place to revel and, and party while they were waiting to take off on their voyage. Now, the thing you need to know about Corinth is that it was Roman, not Greek. It was democratic, not aristocratic in its habits, and it held itself in the vices and the virtues of democracy. Now you can begin to think in terms of how we are governed. Okay? They had the same type of government. The most prominent feature of Corinth was the Acrocorinthus, a cone of rock which sweeps up to some 2,000 feet above the sea level and actually throws a shadow that goes halfway down the isthmus. Corinth stood on the northern base of this rock on a small table of land and spread downward and sideward, throwing out roads which extended to either side of the isthmus connected and connected with the ports. Corinth's aristocracy or its leading men, were men of wealth. They were not manufacturers, but merchants. They were all about making money. One writer wrote that they did not have the settled dignity which ancient and honorable lineage ought to give, nor the trained intelligence and quick invention which fit the manufacturer for success. It was just about commerce. And commerce produces nothing but simply shifts production from one place to another. Those who pursue this vocation often come to look at all things merely with an eye towards profit. Does that sound familiar? They are prone to worship their prosperity instead of God and to value profit above honor because they count as little worth mental discipline or moral virtue or spiritual hope and faith. Many of the Corinthian merchants were such men. Besides this worship of wealth, there was also the usual demoralizing influences of a seaport. Men of all lands and of all faiths coming to this place in this brief break or long break away from home. They were free from the normal parameters that they might have in their own homeland or about their own family. This was a, a very wild city. But these freedoms, these liberties that these guys exercised in this town were so horrendous, the lack of morality was so great that Corinth actually became a synonym for vice. So when people mentioned 
that they were Corinthian, or that fellow has a Corinthian air about him. They, what they were basically, this wasn't a compliment. They were basically saying, it's the guy is probably immoral, untrustworthy, he's dangerous. Unrestrained immorality was dignified into worship. The temples and the streets swarmed with courtesans, more than a thousand of whom served as priestesses in a single temple devoted to the goddess Aphrodite. The city of Corinth became a hotbed of evil, luxury, and sensuality, and it was stimulated by the prosperity of commerce until Corinth became a proverb of corruption. The population of Corinth at the time was about 400,000, and their society was high in culture, but morality was practically non-existent. The city was made up predominantly of Greeks, Jews, Italians, freedmen. It was a mix. Now, it was in this very immoral, wild, prosperous city that this fellowship was born. It wasn't born of seasoned Christians who had, who had studied and had built their life around the parameters of Christendom, the paradigm of, of religious virtue. It is peopled primarily by Gentiles who had lived to all of the vices and societal norms around them. So as they became Christians... And Paul began to teach them and train them. The first thing you've got to know is that when you received Christ and you became a new believer, you were literally born again, though you may not have understood that at the time. There was something in you that changed. You recognized a change. And, and at my time, you know, what they told me was, Jesus came to live in my heart. I understand what they're saying. But unfortunately, what it created in me was a duality. There was Jesus in me and there was me. And I was constantly trying to live to the standard of Jesus who was in my heart. And Jesus would help me get there. But how big a lie is that? Do you ever get there with Jesus' help? No. The thing they didn't show me was that I was rebirthed, reborn into obedience, into purity, into holiness. And what Jesus was there for was to give me life. And that life was fully acceptable to Him. I didn't know that. And you know what? I wasn't ready to know it or I would have. I don't regret the paths I've taken. One of the things that you will see as we continue in this is that the plan of God, which I talk about quite a bit, this is important for you to realize that you're not just wandering about at your own whim, that you're literally in the plan of God. You'll see God working out His path for Paul in the part I'm about to come to. You'll see how God guided His path step by step. And you'll also see how it required the determination of faith for Paul to go forward. You see, we kind of get into this mindset. We read about Paul and we think that he just kind of went from miracle to miracle. Revelation to revelation. You think, you know, if I had that life, I'd be a whole lot more affirmed in who I am. But that is really not the truth. 
Paul, just like you and I, every day had to make a choice of faith to go forward in spite of the circumstances around him. In spite of the evidences that might be presented to him. He had to recognize that there was something greater than the frailty of his flesh and go forward in faith. Well, listen... I'm going to tell you how Paul got to Corinth and came to write that letter. And I want you to see the path of God in it. But I also also want you to understand how great the battle was for the people of Corinth. These same people that I just talked about and all that they were living in and all that they literally were born into or grew up in the midst of, had to totally re-establish a paradigm for living based on the new life that was in them. Because there was nothing in that society that would affirm truth in them. There was nothing in that society that would affirm Christ's life in them. There was everything out there trying to draw them back in to the societal norms, to living. Okay, you know, the enemy's not stupid. I may not be able to convince you to to walk away from the truth and to walk away from your salvation and to walk away from what Christ has done, but what I can do is I can change how you see yourself and see the world. I can change how you see God. I can make your worship, your commitment, your devotion totally man-centered. So then it's all about you and it's all about others. And then your life will be about trying to find a way to discipline the flesh into appearing as religious as the image you've got stuck in your head. How many of us have been there? Let's talk about how Paul got there. It was in this city that this fellowship was founded on Paul's second missionary journey. And if you turn to the 18th chapter of Acts, it records Paul's arrival, his initial arrival into Corinth. And this all came about due to a series of hardships that Paul went through, starting in Philippi, where Paul started a little group of believers with some Jewish women that he met alongside of a river. And that was the nucleus of this new fellowship that he started in in Philippi. And at some point, he encounters a demon-possessed girl that some men are using to make money from by telling fortunes. Y'all remember this? And he encounters this young lady, and then Paul encounters this demon-possessed young lady, and Paul immediately casts the entrepreneurial spirit right out of her. And at that point, the men realize that the business is done. Paul had canceled their franchise. So what happened is that these men got angry, and they decided that they were going to drag Paul into jail. They cast him in a jail, and they threw him in stocks alongside of Silas. And then God sends a local earthquake and frees them. And as a result, Paul leads the jailer and his entire family to the Lord. And guess what? The church just grew. How's that for a church-growing paradigm? 
imagine they don't have a program. I don't think the jailer wrote a book after that, or Paul did either, in that respect. But it grew. But guess what? Paul was run out of the city again. They ran him out. And this followed with Paul being chased out of Thessalonica to Berea until the Thessalonians found him. And then they chased him out of there. And then he traveled to Athens where he was a little discouraged and tired and kind of resolved within himself to rest there until he came into the marketplace and saw all of these idols. He saw idols everywhere he looked. And immediately the Spirit of God awakened passion in him. He began to preach in the marketplace and moved from the marketplace to Mars Hill where he stood around and argued and and reasoned with the philosophers, the Greeks, on Mars Hill. And you know what? Had very little effect. Very little effect. So he went from there to Corinth. You see that in Acts 18. And when he arrived there, he went to the synagogue, which was his custom. And in those days, when the Jews came into the synagogue, they would sit with people who were like in trade. In other words, they all kind of did the same thing. So Paul sat over with the leather workers, and, and, and you see tent maker, but in the Greek, tent maker is leather worker, Okay? So Paul sat over with the leather workers, and as he sat down, he made the acquaintance of a couple, and we've read about this couple many times, Aquila and Priscilla. And they struck up a conversation, and they decided to give him room. They gave him a place to stay at their house. And Paul started preaching at this, at this uh, synagogue every Sabbath, and was converting both Jews and Greeks, until the Jews got angry. I can't imagine why, but they did, and they threw him out. He's not unfamiliar with that. So Paul's, you know, Paul just says, you know what? He shakes his, the dust off his feet, and he says, I am done here. I am completely through with you guys. You don't want to hear the truth? That's fine. Shakes the dust off his feet. He says, I'll take it to the Gentiles. Now, that sounds like an arduous journey, but actually the Gentiles were worshiping next door. So Paul shakes off the dust, turns around the corner, and walks into the Gentile congregation or the Gentile group. As he goes to the Gentile group, he begins preaching there on a, on a regular basis, and uh, people begin to be converted. And he spent a year and a half next door to the synagogue, and apparently... The walls were thin because it turns out that the ruler of that synagogue, Crispus, actually was converted. He and his whole household were converted by Paul's preaching. Wow! So guess what? The church grew. This is the Corinthian church. It expanded beyond Gentiles. Now they had a a core group of Jews. Crispus got saved along with the whole household. That's in verse 8. And this was the humble beginning of the Corinthian church, made up of Jews and Gentiles. Now, during this time, Corinth got a new Roman proconsul named Gallio. So the Jews, with their new synagogue ruler, decided to accuse Paul before the new proconsul in hopes of having Paul arrested. So they grab Paul and they drag him before the new proconsul, right? 
Now, Galileo is smart. And listening to all of the, the carrying on, he recognizes that there's no legal complaint having to do with the Roman law. And, for that matter, they haven't really clearly articulated any kind of broken religious law. At that, he says, get out of my courtroom. So he throws the Jews out, and they're cast out, and they look around, and they look at their new synagogue ruler, and as they're being crowded out of the temple, the Greeks fall upon the new synagogue ruler for wasting Galileo's time, and starts beating him. Now, verse 18, in verse 18, Paul has to leave and leaves a Jew in charge of the church, the new pastor, as it were, the number two pastor. And his name is Apollos. He's in charge. And Paul had met him in Ephesus, and he was a man who was well studied in the scriptures and known to be eloquent. Now, we come to 1 Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter that Paul wrote. The first one he had written, which was instructive, and it's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, but it's not included in the canon of Scripture. And this letter was actually a response to what he had heard about the behavior of the Corinthians. Now, this letter, 1 Corinthians, is largely instructive to the church that was quickly becoming, as I mentioned before, man-centered in its focus and behavior. This was a group of people immersed in a society that lived to the appetites of the flesh. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.